Are you a parent who is concerned about the increasing rates of anxiety and depression? Would you like to know how you can prevent anxiety and depression for yourself and your kids? In order to control the devastating effects of depression and anxiety, we need to focus not only on the treatment but also on the prevention. As parents, you can play a major role in your kids and your mental wellness and happiness. In this program, let's discuss seven proven tools which you can start using today to help you and your kids stay healthy and happy. Hi everyone, good morning. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm your host, Millie Faz, and with me today is Dr. Razina Lakhani. Good morning, Dr. Razina. Hi. Dr. Razina Lakhani is an MD psychiatrist, clinical professor at the University of Washington, and author of the best selling book, Stress to Joy. You're watching episode 10 of Happy and Healthy Mind with Dr. Razina, a weekly live show where we discuss simple and practical tools for optimal health and happiness. Today, we'll be talking about how to prevent anxiety and depression, seven proven tools for parents. Let me remind you that this program is being recorded live. If you have any questions, feel free to submit in the comment section and we'll try our best to reply to your questions. If you're watching recorded version of the show, you can still submit your questions in the comment section and we'll try our best to respond to your queries. Also, if you want to get the resources shared in this program, send the word joyful to 38470. Many people who have seen or experienced depression could relate to what we talk about, but today's program will particularly benefit those parents who want to protect their kids from these mental disorders. So Dr. Razina, you have been helping patients with depression and anxiety for the past 20 years. So let's begin with the most obvious question. If you could start by telling us what exactly is depression and anxiety? When does depression change to a disorder? Does anyone who ever feels depressed or anxious always has a mood disorder? No. Feeling depressed and anxious is a common normal emotion. Know, something doesn't happen according to your desire you feel sad somebody passes away in your family you feel sad something fear causing anxiety causing happens you feel anxious so that's kind of normal emotional reaction the problem starts happening if the let's say when you're feeling depressed you're feeling so depressed that it starts affecting your functioning and it's lasting so long that you're not able to pull yourself out or you start thinking about killing yourself or death and dying, then this normal emotion of depressed mood and anxious mood, uh, anxiety feeling changes into depressive disorder. So for clinically, when, when we make a diagnosis of, let's say, um, a depressive episode, the person has to 
five of these nine criteria lasting for at least two weeks and affecting functioning, which includes like depressed mood, loss of interest in daily activities or things that used to give you joy before, but now they're not giving you joy. Your sleep is getting affected. Your appetite is getting affected. You're kind of uh, not able to think or concentrate or remember things. You start feeling more worthless, hopeless, helpless. You start thinking about death or dying. So all those symptoms, if you are having significant of those symptoms lasting long enough and it's affecting your functioning, then it is clinical depression versus just depressed mood. Similarly for anxiety, there are many anxiety disorders. You know, people could have panic disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder. There are many, many anxiety disorders that could happen. But today we are going to talk about the anxiety that happens with depression. So it's called anxious distress. So let's say if somebody's feeling really keyed up and, and tense and, and feel restless or, or worry so much that it affects their concentration and the, fe the fear of something awful happening is constantly bugging them or they're afraid of loss of control. If those symptoms are also present with the other depression symptoms, then we call it this depression is with anxious distress. And that makes it kind of even more difficult to treat depression and it increases the suicidal thoughts and it can kind of make the depression longer. And therefore, it is even more important to address when the depression and anxiety are occurring together like that. Thank you, Dr. Rosina. That was really helpful. So, Dr. Rosina, is uh, uh, depression and anxiety common? It is very. A lot of times people don't even know that other people are having depression because a lot of people mask because of the stigma people hide that they may be struggling but 20 percent of the people struggle with depression at some point in their their life and and therefore it like you know if you if you are in a group of five people there's a chance that one person would have depression but even more than people having the clinical depression and anxiety, I think the bigger problem is that subthreshold depression and subthreshold anxiety. Like you're having some symptoms, it's not enough to make a clinical, you know, depression, but you're kind of lingering in between that affects your ability to enjoy your life fully, to feel to feel happy and healthy. And that is the bigger problem. And it is very common and therefore we need to attend to make it better. Okay, thank you, Dr. Zina. Dr. Zina, my next question to you is why is prevention of these disorders important, particularly when it comes to parents? So, and before I answer that question, I want to just kind of add this one point. I was talking about the depression and anxiety being common. And right now, we are sitting at the tsunami of depression. We have lost more than 100,000 people in only, uh, just in US and 300,000 people to coronavirus. That means when one person passes away, the whole family gets affected, right? That means 300,000 families at this point in time are affected by coronavirus. And they are all going through some form of depression because depression is part of the grief reaction. Most of the time, people who have the depression as part of their grief reaction are able to pull themselves out. But if it continues and it becomes complicated, then it can become a prolonged depression too. So we are going through that phase where there is much more increase in depression and anxiety. And therefore, it's always been important to prevent. But particularly at this time, it is more important that we give attention to our mental health 
so we can prevent the severe severe depression and anxiety from developing and so then you, your answer to your question about can can we prevent depression and yes in past no you must have also I, I was i asked that why uh, prevention of depression is important uh, particularly when it comes to parents yes so one of the reasons it is very important because the kids follow the parents by modeling by watching and therefore when a parent is depressed it affects the kids also so it's very very important that parents take care of both their depression uh, prevent themselves from becoming depressed and their kids by taking care of their mental health and their physical health and you by attending this program you are doing that so good job exactly um dr azina when i was in med school i always thought that depression could not be prevented uh, can you please tell me is depression preventable can it be prevented so yeah that was the understanding in in medicine that depression was not a preventable illness if it happens you treat it but you can't prevent it from happening but in 2009 uh, the institute of medicine reverted their their report of 10 years before 10 years before the report said that depression cannot be prevented but in 2009 based on the studies that that were done showed that yes depression can be prevented and almost 22 to 38% that is significant amount 22 to 38% of depression could be prevented so you don't have to wait for the suffering to sink set in you can prevent the suffering before it happens wow that's amazing um dr rizina how can someone prevent depression and anxiety how especially parents we are talking about parents well like i was saying that there are certain the studies are showing more and more what are some of the things that can help prevent the depression so when the when the scientists look at the causes of depression there's definitely a genetic component if there's somebody in your family has depression your chances of having depression is higher if you've had a previous episode of depression your chances of having depression is higher if you've had a trauma in your life if you are you know there's poverty and difficulties um, the chances is higher but these studies showed that the environment is more significant component of depression than even the genetic so there are parts of the reasons for depression that are not in your control and there are parts of the depression that are in your control so that is where everybody can focus on to prevent their depression but especially parents can play a major role the first and best preventive study that show, uh, that was done that showed that the self help intervention especially for sub threshold depression like you know somebody has not developed full depression but there's at sub threshold they they show that their depression could be prevented so they they studied in the college group and they even did just a web based intervention and taught these kids changing their thoughts from negative to positive or from you know fixed mindset to growth mindset and and so using this cognitive behavior therapy they were able to see that their depression they were able to prevent depression in many of these kids so that was the best study that that showed and that is why you know i i teach these programs and the same you know the basis for my book stress to joy 
And so when you are attending these programs, when you are reading these books and working on your mind development, you are already taking the steps. But before I want to emphasize that I don't even consider that as the first line. Actually, the first line of defense or like the first, the most important thing you can do is to take care of yourself. And last week when we did the self-care for mom without feeling guilty, you, you heard that, you know, when the mothers take care of themselves, they also impact their kids, their families, health and happiness. And so attention to yourself is the most important step that you can do to take care of your kids and your family. And let me ask you, do you like to be lectured? No. <laughs> Nobody likes to be lectured. If you say, you should do this and you should do that, nobody likes it. So if you're telling your kids, you know, you should wake up in time, but you're waking up late. And if you should eat healthy and you're not eating healthy, they're not going to listen to you. And so if you want to help your family be healthy and happy, the first, the first step is to take care of your own health and happiness. Let me show you an example from Prophet Muhammad's life. So, you know, in, in Prophet Muhammad's time, people used to come and ask for their problems and help ask for their uh, help with their problems. So one mother brought her, her son and she said, Prophet Muhammad, my son is eating too many dates. And I, I keep on telling him uh, to stop eating so many dates, but he doesn't listen to. Can you please tell him? Uh, maybe he'll listen to you. So Prophet Muhammad says, okay, uh, why don't you come back in three weeks? So the mother is thinking, uh, and then he, he, she, she, she goes, and then three weeks later she comes back, and then Prophet Muhammad calls this, uh, calls this boy and says, you know, too much of dates are good, but too much of good is also not good. So don't eat too many dates. Just eat it in in reasonable amount. And so the mother is thinking. If he, if Prophet Muhammad had to say the same thing, why didn't he say three weeks back? So she asked Prophet Muhammad, like, you know, why did you wait for three weeks to say this simple statement to uh, to my son? The Prophet Muhammad says, because I also eat too many dates. <laughs> so first I had to practice what I needed to tell him. So for last three weeks, I have controlled eating dates. So now I can tell him to control eating his dates. So the same thing, <laughs> if you are a parent and you want your kid to follow certain direction, it's important that you do it and by modeling. And a simple example I can share is dental hygiene. They have found a relationship between dental hygiene and depression. So they saw the people who were taking care of their, their dental hygiene, they were at lower risk for depression. Why? Because dental caries are the biggest source of inflammation and the inflammation is also one of the big factor risk factors for depression so when you reduce the inflammation by taking care of your your teeth then you can also prevent depression so the parent uh, the best thing i can suggest to parents is start flossing <laughs> and so when you floss then your kids would floss and then you would be able to prevent the risk of um, depression the other thing is so emotional skills so there was a study done with the teenagers and what they did was they gave a speech to these teenagers and then they notice how their parents were reactive. If their parents were really, really anxious and were reacting to the kids' speeches, the speech, then those kids grew up to be more anxious kids as they grew up. And the parents who were calm while the kids were performing, those kids grew up to be calmer too. So 
you can buy you by developing your emotional stability and your emotional reactivity when you control that then you are also putting teaching your kids and modeling it so like when you are practicing mindfulness that we talked in a few weeks back again i'm going to put the links to all these videos in the description but we talked about mindfulness and mindfulness can calm down your reactivity and so when you are less reactive your kids will be less reactive actually there has been a study done with the, uh, they taught mindfulness for several weeks in the school and they followed up those kids they were less likely to develop depression and anxiety when they practiced mindfulness and then parents can be like you know the emotional coaches so instead of like you know saying you should feel this way or you should not feel this way you can kind of coach them oh you're feeling this way hmm what if you do this or what if you think this way and helping the kids develop that emotional resilience so they can deal with the stressors and not become depressed wow that was really helpful dr azina dr azina what about diet how does diet affect our mental health well diet is consists of chemicals right So when you put something in your body those chemicals are going to interact with the chemicals in your body and there are chemicals cause more inflammation and that would cause inflammation for your heart for your lungs and your for your brain so if you are eating inflammatory diet basically junk diet <laughs> then you are increasing your risk of depression and anxiety in addition to risk for heart disease and, and uh, obesity and things like that so basically diet has a very strong role and what happens is you know basically inflammation can be caused by many different things diet is one thing smoking is another exercise and stress so those are things kind of increase your inflammation and when it increases your inflammation it affects your brain also and can cause depression and therefore by controlling the diet or eating the healthy diet you can prevent depression Uh, is there any particular diet which you recommend so there are many diets that have been studied you know there's a biggest study that was done with mediterranean diet and they showed that the people who eat mediterranean diet had 70% chance of developing depression versus 100% in people who were eating junk diet but then there was another study another big study that i was fond of was called mind diet m i n d mind diet and that was studied for people with alzheimer's disease to pre- prevent the alzheimer's development and that uh, that combined mediterranean diet with a dash diet but i simply recommend people use the my healthy plate here you see that half of the plate is vegetables and quarter is your protein and quarter is your starch and if you just eat the healthy diet healthy balanced meal usually you get most of the nutrition if you try to have like the five colors of the vegetable then you get most of the nutrition and i think for the diet it's not just what kind of diet but the regularity which becomes very important so a lot of times people say to me that they go uh, they are only eating once a day and then they are hoping that they would lose weight or they don't feel like eating because they're depressed and therefore they are not eating so what happens is that when your body does not have good nutrition it cannot function your brain cannot function you become more irritable you become more crabby and you're you're not able to focus well so it becomes more important to eat regularly so sometimes i recommend to people who are forgetting to put alarm on their phone every 3 to 4 hours 
So three times a day, you can eat a healthy plate. And then other two to three times a day, you can eat a healthy snack, like eight pieces of almonds or one apple or one banana or one cup of yogurt or one cup of milk. That becomes your snack and that keeps your giving body regular nutrition so it can continue to function at its best. Dr. Razina, you mentioned smoking earlier. Yes. So it's a common belief that smoking helps you uh, calm down and relax. Uh, is it true? How, how is smoking related to mental health? So there are many studies that show that smoking is related to depression. It not only increases the risk of depression, it can make depression worse and it increases your suicidal thoughts. So the biggest study that was done with smoking was was during the pregnancy. And I told you like now earlier that women who smoke, they, their risk of depression and their kids' risk of depression goes up. But what actually happens with smoking is actually it thins your brain. So studies have proven that smoking can thin your brain. And of course, when the brain is thin, it is not able to function at its best. The most important finding was that if you stop smoking, that brain thickness can come back. So for my message to everybody around, I even did a program on smoking on one of the earlier episodes that you can find was to stop smoking because once you stop, then you can recover not only your heart and your lung health, but also your brain health. We discussed smoking, Dr. Rosina. What about marijuana? What do you think? And marijuana is a big concern for us. So although it is being Although it has been now legal, when people use marijuana, they think that they calm down. They calm down or like some people use it to improve their appetite. And, you know, it is a chemical that has its effect. So there are beneficial effects they try to use. But there are more harmful effects of using marijuana, especially for the kids. In medical school, we used to joke, like, you know, if if you put like, you know, several kids in the row, and you ask these medical students to kind of pick who, who uses marijuana or not, it's easy for, for them to pick up. Pick. Why? Because the people who use marijuana, they become dopey. That's why it's called dope, right? <laughs> and so, but not only when you are like, you know, uh, zoned out or you're stoned, long run, I've had so many patients that I had to continue treatment for years because they were using marijuana and that increased the risk of psychotic disorders. And so it has, it, it, as a chemical, is it has its role, but using it indiscriminately without thinking and just habitually has its a lot of its side effects. And therefore, I would be concerned about use of marijuana. If you can stop it, you can actually decrease the risk for your depression and other mental illnesses. So are you saying that the steps people uh, can take in their own life or in their kids' life to prevent heart diseases could also help prevent diseases of the brain such as depression and anxiety? Yes, yes, exactly. And I told you earlier too, because there's this common denominator of inflammation that whatever, because body and mind are not separate, right? So what you do for your overall health helps both your body health and your mind health. And so it's like eat eat well and feed well. Because as parents, you have some control, especially when the kids are young, what you're feeding them. So eat yourself well and feed them. Um, 
So we discussed the impacts of self-care and uh, diet on uh, mental health. What about physical activity? Why is physical activity important, especially in childhood? So there are studies that show that kids who are active as children, their risk of depression goes down by one and a half. So it's absolutely necessary for kids to be active, but also for adults. Uh, there's this big study that was shown um, in exercise during pregnancy, where the, pe- the mothers who exercise during pregnancy, their risk of uh, depression and their kids' depression was down. As adults, we can, there have been studies that show that 150 minutes of exercise in a week, that is 30 minute exercise about five days a week, can actually not only prevent, but it could be actually treatment for mild to moderate depression, almost comparable to antidepressant. So there is a big role of movement and physical activity in when it comes to depression and mental illness. Uh, I'm very lazy. I'm not that active. I think I should start exercising more regularly. Yes, yes, we all should. And, you know, I use the word should. Let me just kind of hold on to while I, I talk about my in my special about the word should. But yeah, I think it's very important. And one experience that I've had, when I used to have, used to go on the treadmill, I used to have a, a, a chart in front of the treadmill and I would write down, you know, the date and the time when I would do the exercise. And so then if there were days where go by and I would not go, I would feel really guilty later on that I did not do the exercise. And when I'm doing exercise with that guilt and that negative feeling, I didn't enjoy it as much. And then my chances of coming back was lower. So then once I realized that I was bringing that negative feeling to my exercising, I stopped doing that and I started saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm back on exercising. And so then I feel like going because now I'm doing something that I feel I want to do. And so that's what I would recommend to you that if you haven't been doing it, start uh, start doing the exercise. And uh, I think you love love dogs. So just take yeah. it for a walk every day and half an hour of dog walking can give you enough exercise to help you stay healthy and happy. I'm going to try. I'm going to try my best. Um, it's no secret that sleep has a very important effect on physical health. How sleep is related to mental health doctors? Sleep doubles the risk of inappropriate or inadequate sleep doubles the risk of depression. And because there are like, you know, the chemicals in the body that repair or are released during the sleep. So when you don't have enough sleep or regular sleep, because regularity is even more important in depression. So if you're not waking up at a particular time every day, then your sleep cycle gets disturbed. And so therefore it is very important that you maintain not just the quantity number of hours, but the regularity. You mentioned social connectedness in your wellness program. How does that play a role, Dr. Rosina? And so social connectedness is a protective mechanism against depression. So it's absolutely necessary when you have a good friend that you can that you can rely on. So not just the social media, social connectedness, because many times when there's only social media, you may have 100 or 200 friends, but you're not emotionally connected with them. And so it's very, very important that you're emotionally connected with at least one or few friends that you can talk to when you're feeling distressed. So 
especially uh, at this time during the coronavirus, you know, stay at home, a lot of our kids are getting most affected because they're not able to socialize. And therefore, I think it's important for parents to understand that that need is not getting met. So creating the environment where there is more social connectedness in form of either video chats or uh, phone chats or like, you know, whenever possible so that that need is met and that protective mechanism is there. It also depends on the quality of this social connectedness because there's sometimes these relationships are traumatic and they could have negative impact too. And, you know, the grief can have negative impact. So it can go both ways. So the parents need to model how to deal with these ups and downs in friendship for their kids to be able to handle these issues in their social life. Uh, what about mindfulness, Dr. Rathina? Well, as I initially mentioned, there's a whole study done. There are many, many studies that are being done. And mindfulness has shown to be able to decrease the risk of depression and decrease the severity of depression when it happens. We did the whole session on that day. So because of the time shortage, I'll just refer people to that video on, uh, we did it on how to practice mindfulness for stress reduction. And uh, what about thought training? And this is what we are doing. We are doing the thought training so that we can prevent, develop this emotional resilience so we can manage the stress without uh, becoming depressed. So if a, if someone has an adolescent or a college-age child who is showing some of those early signs beyond what might normally occur in adolescent, like more moodiness or anxiety, what should the parent do? And that is the hardest place the parents are sometimes because when a person is depressed, they don't feel like talking, they don't feel like exercising, they don't feel like doing the things that would actually pull them out. So it becomes hard for parents. And in those cases, what I recommend is be non-judgmental and communicate. And so ask in a in a non-judgmental way, if you seem to be stressed today, how are things going? What can is there something I can do? Things like that. And then normalizing, you know, sharing that a lot of people go through this depression and anxiety. So, so they don't feel, you know, people when they are depressed, they feel alone. They feel nobody else is going through what they are going through. So helping them understand that, no, a lot of people are going, may go through that in their lives. So they don't feel alone. The third thing is that share the learning. When you read, when you learn and you share, then it's kind of an intellectual, like you're treating your child as a as an intellectual person. Share the options, the teaching, and let them choose what they want to focus on. And so they feel like they are making the decision. And then, you know, taking one small goal at a time, that really helps. And I think that is the reason, I think it is very hard for the parents. And if parents get educated, that would really help them. And that is the reason I'm writing this book on depression for the parents so that they can learn all these tools that I've been talking about in one place. And I wanted to ask the audience if there are parents over here. I'm right now trying to decide the title for the book that would teach all these prevention tools and the early treatment tools and answer questions for parents. What would you like this book title to be or the title that would attract uh, attract you? So please share in the comments if you can. I really appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Rosina, would you like to give us any take-home message? Yes, I want to give the message of empowerment. Depression is a debilitating illness. 
Depression with anxious distress makes it even further worse. There are things that are not in your control, but there are many things that are in your control. So focus on those things, take care of your health, and that way you'll be able to take care of your loved ones, whether it be your kids or your other family members or your friends. And I understand that there are a lot of times people have questions, they want to have a consultation, but they don't have the illness, they don't have a clinical diagnosis, so the insurance company is not going to pay. And so for that reason, I have started this clinic for parents or for people who want to discuss issues for their family members or their own, but they have met the criteria for depression or their stress management for executive for parents. It's called executive clinic. And if somebody wants to connect over there, they can go to this website and make an appointment and they would be able to discuss their, their issue. And of course, like Millie said, we can, I always send the, the blogs and the free exercises. If you want to sign up, you can always sign up by texting joyful to this number 38470. Thank you so much, Dr. Ravina. I learned a lot from today's session. So in summary, today we talked about what is anxiety and depression, uh, what are some of the misconceptions about these disorders, why prevention of these disorders is important, particularly for parents, and how these disorders can be prevented, particularly for parents. We'll end today's program with Dr. Razina's special, uh, but before that, let me remind you that if you like this program, just let us know by liking the page. And if you have any question, feel free to enter in the comment section and we'll try our best to address your questions in the future programs. If you think this program may help someone Please share and join us in our mission for preventing depression and spreading health and happiness. Thank you so much. And the topic for next week is gratitude for healthy and happy mind. See you next week on Saturday at 11 p.m. Uh, let's end with Dr. Rosina's special. So Dr. Rosina. So today I have a simple special. I say guilt of the word should and i almost started talking about it during the session so the word should is very commonly used in our language right so uh, tell me do you like if i say you should do this do you like no, it not okay. at all okay when you say i should do this and you don't do it do you feel guilty yes so should is that kind of guilt provoking word whether you do it or not do it you feel guilty Right. So let's say if I say I should exercise every day, if I do exercise, I don't feel good because I should have done exercise anyways. Right. And if I don't do exercise, then I feel guilty because I should have done exercise. Every day, right. And so what you can do is change the word. Watch when you are saying should in your vocabulary, try to change it to I would like to. So instead of saying I should exercise every day, say I would like to do exercise every day. You think you'd feel less guilty? Yes. Yeah. And so when I say I would like to exercise every day, if I do it, I feel good because that's what I wanted to do. And if I don't do it, then I don't feel that guilty. Today and going forward, whenever you see yourself using this word should a lot, then try to replace it with I would like to.
all right and i wish you guys health and happiness and see you next week